Our US Open coverage is sponsored by AG1. AG1 is the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. And as part of our US Open coverage, Joel and I are taking a little AG1 challenge of our own and we'll be updating you on our AG1 journey and how it's improving our health and wellness. So Joel, we've got started. How are you finding it? I'm not going to lie. I was a little bit nervous. I was a little bit sceptical at first, but I got my flask, put one scoop in, added water, shook it all about. And do you know what? It actually tastes pretty good. Yeah, I was surprised because normally the healthier something is, the worse it tastes. But for me, what I like is I've got a cupboard of vitamins that it's been able to replace. So that's just one product I can take in the morning. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash tennis weekly. That's drinkag1.com forward slash tennis weekly. Check it out. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris. On today's US Open Round 3 catch-up, sponsored by AG1. Djokovic survives a five-set scare. Rabakina gets dumped out by Kaseya. And Jack Draper is the last singles Brit standing. Chris, today is the 3rd of September and we are here to catch up on round three of the US Open at Tennis Weekly HQ. We are very close to getting to the second week of the Grand Slam, very close to it to round four and lots of action to catch up on the men's and women's sides. The Brits, although we started with a bang, we are now left with just one Brit standing in the singles. Normal in service Jack has Drake, resumed. Normal service exactly has resumed. But the Americans, the Americans are really having a ball, aren't they, on the, on the, men, on the men and ladies' sides? Yeah, there's eight Americans through to the last 16, four on both sides. So if you hedge your bets, you'd imagine there would be some Americans at later stages. Um, but a lot of them have to play each other coming up. So we've got um, mm. Pagulas taking on Keys. Uh, we have Tommy Paul taking on Ben Shelton. So the numbers will go down. We won't have the eight numbers in the last will, Exactly. 16, and actually yeah. with Ben Shelton, I saw he, he produced the fastest serve of the championship so far. 147 miles per hour. An absolute cannon of a serve I, uh, I watched on the highlights. Wow, he's got a phenomenal serve and there were audible gasps when he played against Where's team. Where's this been all the year? I swear, nothing. he's not really... It's been all the hype. It's been all the hype. Nothing has happened. Nothing has happened. And then all of a sudden, we've still got the hype. He plays the US Open Kids Day or, or whatever, and now he's into round four. Well, was he attending the US Open Kids Day or was he <laughs> there as a player? But no, he's got a fantastic serve and uh, on clay, it really worked well. But it's his first season. He's, he's mm. finding his way on the tour. And I'm Very sure... true. I mean, he hadn't really been playing tennis outside of America up, up to, he did have up a to this season. His, I think. It was his first time um, yeah. outside the US in Australia. So he's now made it to all four slams and that's no small feat. He's racking up the uh, the uh, stamps, the stamps and the in his passport. Yes, and the air miles as well. Yeah, I hope he's got. Uh, he's getting the yeah the air miles in. But uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about all the action from round three, and we're going to start, Chris, because you were there yesterday. It was all very exciting because we had lots of Brits in action. Unfortunately, we've only got one left, and we're going to start and sort of clamour to uh, the victory that was Jack Draper, um, who's now in the round of sixteen. He defeated Michael Moe. 6-4, 6-2, slight blip in that third set, 3-6, and then 6-3 in the fourth. You were there for this match. Jack Draper now into the round of 16 for the first ever time at a Grand Slam. He's making me eat my words every every victory he gets because I was I, I was questioning whether you should play this given his physical issues. But what was it like being there courtside watching this? It was great. I think um, it's such a bonus based on what we thought, as you said, for him to even be here. Um, when it came to how the match went, I think it was um, a really uneventful, um, uninspiring sort of initial couple of sets because Jack had a very good game plan. It was don't go for too much, um, play the point out um, and then pull the trigger and be super patient. And I think... Um, it didn't make for the most entertaining tennis, but I I think that most brand. That's what of, you want as a British fan, is it not? A safe pair of hands. And then what happened in the in the third set though, Joel? And I think 
it, it, he's a player where you have to be against Michael Mann. You've got to be very, very um, patient because he doesn't hit the ball hard. A lot of topspin, a lot of midcourt. And he basically says to you, you've got to hit through me now. The ball's on your racket and you have to take the initiative. Um, and I've never heard Jack let out like a, a cry of frustration and throw his racket before ever. And he really kind of, he really did it in that third set before he got it back together. And his talent level is so much higher. So it was great to see him get the win. But I, I was worried the entire time that what if uh, he gets worn, worn down in this? Like what if he goes to a fifth set and he runs out of steam? I, I was still concerned, but um, now he's through. I think it's very different playing against Rublev. It will be um, a pace that he's much more used to. I mean, just talking about the fact that Michael Moe was playing in front of a home crowd and uh, how did how did Jack Draper handle facing him and the, the support of the American crowd? Because it sounded like, yeah, that it sort of went over for him at one point with that kind of racket throw. But how did you feel like he handled quite a intense atmosphere with, uh, you know, American wildcard, outside courts, them wanting to see an upset? How do you think he approached that and handled that situation? Yeah, I think the first set before kind of a lot of the fans had got there, it was okay. I think as the match went on, it did start to annoy him a little bit. Um, There were lots of chanting. um, And I think it is a frustrating uh, situation to be in. I'm not sure how many times he would have been in that situation. It's very different against a Hercatch um, or an Albert. Um, I think that if um, Mo had a bit more on his racket, I think, and it went to a fifth set. I do think that would have been very challenging to deal with. Um, and actually, I caught up with um, a couple of fans at, uh, at lunchtime um, who were like, oh, that Jack Draper's got a bad temper. And I was like, you couldn't be more wrong. <laughs> He's s- such like a chill guy normally. So um, I think it was really important for him to get it done in four. But I mean, all of it's good experience because you never know. You might be facing, um, I don't know, Diminar in the fourth round of Australia. And then those crowds will be equally as vocal probably so um i think it was quite funny at times he, he almost tried to get the crowd to like be g'd up um but like cheer a bit louder though i think he remembered he was in the u.s and then that's why no one cheered <laughs> i mean he's such a great prospect and i'm almost really glad he's got this he's had this run of, of form in him at the u.s open because it's not really clicked for him at the grand slam so far in this season you know he's it's just been injury one injury after another and we were all kind of hoping for that big breakout moment at Wimbledon and it yeah it didn't really happen so it's nice I think for him to get this moment and just I think sort of show that he's he's living up to his potential and and, and dare I say the body the body is holding up on him and I think you know we we will see the the talent there and uh, it's going to be exciting when he does face Andrei Rublev because people are talking about Jack Draper in terms of where can he go, where can his ranking go. Do you see him testing Rublev, potentially upsetting him, or do you think that's going to be a step too far? I think the serve's going to be really important for him. Um, I think there's no reason why he wouldn't be able to. I think Rublev hasn't been playing kind of lights out tennis throughout the tournament. I think he's struggling a little bit um, for form. Uh, particularly in the sort of hardcore phase of the year. Um, oh, it's tricky. It's so hard to know with Jack because we haven't seen him play that much tennis this year and it was mm. a very reserved performance he put in. Yeah. Um, but when he when it's on, it's on. Um, he's got nothing to lose. We've seen him upset big players like, you know, Kachanov last year at the US Open and, and it's not a completely dissimilar game style. So I would say, why not? Um, he will be able to play very freely. Um, do I think he's going to do the upset? I, I don't really, though. I think... It's going to push Rublev, but it's come a bit too soon. A bit too soon, yeah. I mean, he obviously didn't even play Wimbledon, and um, mm. it's quite a different situation. But at the same time, we've seen upsets galore um, at different times. So who who knows? I guess... That is very true. Can you tell that I'm very hesitant to say anything now because of how wrong I've got it. It's fascinating because I believe in the men's singles draw there are no seeded players left from seed position 17 to 32. It's just like completely decimated, completely barren and we're sort of just left with the top seeds and we've got players like Borna Gojo still going. Borna Gojo hasn't even dropped a set yet. Him and Taylor Fritz are the only ones in the uh, the men's competition on on that front but um, yeah, it feels very kind of 
unfamiliar at times but you know this is the US Open this is the final Grand Slam of the year and I think because of that position we normally get a little bit of weirdness I think kind of going on with the draws um, and the results I mean a couple of uh, other Brits that were in action Dan Evans and Cam Norrie I'd say Chris performances wise both on different sides of the spectrum because Dan Evans although he lost to Carlos Alcaraz he put up a great performance. Carlos Alcaraz was clapping him off the court. The crowd were clapping him off the court. He really raised his level um, to that level. I think we saw, and, and even beyond, actually, I think we saw in uh, in Washington when he won the, the 500 title there. But um, yeah, Carlos Alcaraz was just too good, particularly um, in that fourth set. But then on the other side of the, the spectrum, as I said, Cam Norrie falling rather meekly to Arnaldi of Italy in straight sets. I know Arnaldi's 22 years old and there's there's really big hopes for him from the Italian contingent. But um, two performances that are, were very much, I think, almost kind of worlds apart at times. Definitely. I did feel like with Dan Evans, though, he loved the occasion and wanted to play well for the occasion. But I don't think mm. he was too hung up on whether he got the win or not. He was having a great time out there. Um and I, I've never seen two players smile more during what should be like a really big deal match. <laughs> and the crowds on the big screen, I saw some of it. They they were loving it, um, laughing their heads off at some of the points and some of the rallies and the spirit that match was played in. Um, so I think that with, with that one, I think it was a case that it brought out his best tennis playing against the world number one. Whereas for someone like Norrie, where the pressure is on him to get some results because he obviously hasn't had his best season to date. Um, he's in a similar situation um, last year where he he, he wasn't going to qualify for the end of season championships. He wasn't getting the results. Um, and it could be a case, you know, he wants it too badly. But Arnaldi, that's a, that's a really bad scoreline, I have to say, because Arnaldi doesn't have a huge amount of weapons. It's very, everything has to be working. Um, for him to get one of those big results. Um, he is very, very good at moving. He's great um, on both wings. There's no weaknesses there, but he is someone who a player like Norrie should be able to to pick apart, really. So I was looking at some of the stats from this match to try and figure out kind of what went wrong. And I think it was a case that it was um, a bit of an off day because his first serve was at 70%. Uh, he was winning only 60% behind it. Um, but he wasn't taking his chances. So he took one of five break points, whereas Arnaldi took five of six. So it's just one of those days you have to think. And um, a very inspired Arnaldi, getting inspired by the other young players who are doing so well here. I mean, we have players like Sinner, we've got Alcaraz, mm. Ben Shelton, ben Shelton. Yeah. we've got Rinky, who's still in, we've got Stricker, like it's definitely, and Jack Draper, how can I forget, all under the age mm. um, of 23. So I think it's a case where a lot of the young people are seeing how well each other are doing and thinking, well, why not me? Yeah, and I mean, it was, I think it was disappointing for Nori because Arnaldi had played five-set match against Arthur Fee in, in the second round. And I thought, you know, Nori is a, a, a player on the tour known for just grinding out results and, and pushing his opponent, like, physically. And... I thought that might have been you know, what he would have tried to do in this match. But Arnaldi just sort of asserted his authority from the back of the court. I wondered if, particularly you know, Norrie's forehand, the, the top spin there, it just, just sat up really for Arnaldi to, to hit and um, really kind of start the, you know, the rallying points off really, really well and putting him in a, a great position. And uh, yeah, I think it was kind of disappointing from that point of view. I mean, he will now move Norrie on to Davis Cup um, in Manchester next week. And Dan Evans is going to be there. Andy Murray's going to be there. Jack Draper should be there. We'll see how far he goes in, in the US Open. What for you would be kind of your number one and number two picks for the singles for GB if you were Leon Smith? Given we've seen all of this great tennis from, from Jack Draper. We've seen great tennis also from Dan Evans. But Cam Norrie, who's British number one, arguably less so. Yeah. I mean, it's um it's a tricky one in that sense. I think they've got a bit of a different tact here than what obviously the women do with Anne Kjovathong preferring to play a doubles pair that play regularly together on the tour for those kind of key clutch doubles matches. So currently we have three singles players, two of them who can play doubles very well in Andy Murray and Dan Evans. Evans and Skupski would be the natural selection for the doubles team. But I mean, Norrie might be your banker there, one of your rotation players. And 
I would play Jack in and Dan Evans if it was full strength. Um, potentially Murray in the doubles or Dan Evans and Neil Skupski in the doubles um, and put kind of Murray on the bench in that sense. But we know how it works. We know that you have to rotate. Otherwise, it is very taxing on the body and playing twice in uh, twice in a day and then coming back again and, and doing it all over it, it can be very taxing the body. So for me, Jack Draper would be my number two. I put Dan Evans probably at number one. Um, but then that's Not going really- against the ranking. We've not really seen much of Jack Draper, I feel, in Davis Cup. Again, he's normally just been in, injured. So I hope maybe, yeah, this time it, yeah. in Manchester. It would be Pulse. beneficial. Yeah, yeah exactly. It would be good, Pulse I think. This is, a quali- you know, this is a qualifier, um, you, know, for, uh, you know, for the finals, essentially, in this kind of round-robin group stage format. So there's no doubt, I think, Jack Draper, hopefully, assuming all goes well, uh, can be there and be fighting fit. We want to see Jack there as well, don't we? We want to see him there because <laughs> we're going to be there. And I, I know. I really exactly. enjoyed seeing him play. And then it'd be quite fun going from <laughs> saw him in New York and then seeing him in Manchester. <laughs> Elsewhere, we had Andrew Rublev, uh, as I said earlier, win. He's now defeated three Frenchmen in a row, Caso, Bonfils and Rindenek. So I feel like he's probably quite happy he doesn't have to face another Frenchman in uh, in round four. Um, Yannick Sinner also coming through. Chris, I noticed the Karota boys uh, were in attendance in Just the crowd. Just behind me, Joel. Just oh, were behind they? me. Okay. Yeah, what I've was that like? Witness... What was that experience like? I, I, they keep the carrots on. That was my really surprising <laughs> thing. It was warm in there. We were on the sunny side and... Um, oh, you thought they were going to take them off because it was like really, really hot. Yeah, I really did. And um, I mean, clearly <laughs> the fact that they are Italian means that they well, maybe to withstand the, the heat. The Karata costume material is breathable. I don't know, wicking material. That, oh, you think um, it's like Savalenka's custom Nike kit <laughs> that they've got custom carrots? It's probably not like what Onzi Balls wears because I swear she's just dripping in sweat from like point one. It might be because of that material looks like that. The dark material sometimes does look like mm. that. But um, no, they they were not as vocal as maybe I thought they would be. Um, but they had just arrived. It was their first day on okay. site. But I did get to witness the first ever meeting of the Karate Boys with Yannick Sinner. Wow. And I, I was quite impressed with the way that he handled it. Because if it was me, I'd be kind of giving these kind of... Um, adult men a restraining order. But he invited them down. <laughs> he took some pictures, took a selfie. So... Um, I, they didn't make all the difference in the match, but uh, there was a lot of support for for Warinka there, which I was quite surprised. He's so well liked there, which um, obviously I really like him. I think he's fantastic, and uh, his coach is obviously Magnus Norman, who we've had on the pod. But um, Sinner, I think it was quite unusual because it was almost like he was playing against the crowd. So the Crotter boys, I was like, "Come on, lads! You've flown out to New York. You're wearing carrots. Let's mm. hear a bit more from you." I mean, there's an argument to say I think Sinner's a little bit unlucky with his round four matchup because he has Alexander Zverev next. And I don't feel like we've even spoken about Alexander Zverev um, all tournament, but he seems to be playing some pretty, some pretty good ball. Do you feel like there's been like a lack of chat about Zverev given that, you know, the tennis that he showed? I mean, Sin has come through against Vavrinka in four sets. Zverev came through against Dimitrov um, in four sets. I was particularly impressed with how he handled the, the second set tie break um, because that was very close Dimitrov very easily could have gone two sets up and perhaps an old Zverev wouldn't have you know maybe be able to kind of take out the the clutch the clutch tie break as it were and then it just sort of fell away from from Dimitrov from there but yeah Sina Zverev that to me is quite an interesting like not round four matchup given I think that the tennis we've seen from them um, over the last week or so I think with Zverev it's very hard to know where his level will be at um, he played very well against Djokovic. He obviously Chris, beat is this Medvedev. when you're going to bring out the stat around he's never beaten a top 10 player in a, a Grand Slam draw ever before? I mean, Is that still that true? Is, I- let me think. Oh, I don't know if that's still true. Listeners, please correct us. But um, <laughs> it's 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 either that or one, right? He's not done it very. I often. think it might. I think it might be one. If, but then that would have to be the French this year, and he didn't really play anyone that tough at the French mm. this year. I don't think so. Um, I cannot confirm or deny that. But in terms of the tennis that we've seen, I think it's um, it's not been sparkling from either. Um, I think that's definitely definitely the case in the sense that there there have been hiccups um, on both sides. Sinner probably should have put that away. He was definitely rolling in the second serve. Um, it was about 71 miles an hour. That's slower than an Andy Murray second serve. Um, and there's rumours of kind of a back injury there. And it didn't feel like he was playing kind of phenomenal tennis. And that's, that serve was really under fire. I mean, he won 24 
percent of points on the second serve in the second set um and it was very noticeable that sam was able to really hit through that so that's a key thing for me and i think with zverev i mean he did get past dimitrov but dimitrov is kind of famous for kind of choking in big matches and um dimitrov was actually i think a set and a break up and he should have really got the first two sets and then it looked like Mm. his spirit was crushed in that sense so he's competing well i'd say for zverev right now um in that match i think it's hard to to say who the favorite will be i think Probably based on some of the form that we've seen recently, you'd think that Zverev might have the edge, especially if there is an injury with Sinner. But who's your pick, Joel? I, do you know what? I'm I'm edgy, slightly edging towards Sinner, although I'm sure listeners won't like me saying that because they want the, you know, Carlos Alcaraz, Yannick Sinner potential matchup at, at the US Open. But I, I would give Zverev the edge. I think no one's really talking about him. He's playing some good tennis. Back in the top 10 in the live rankings. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, he's he's obviously got previous here So um, at Flushing Meadows. So, um, yeah, I, I maybe give him the slight edge. But I think that's going to be... I think I think they're almost kind of both unfortunate that they're facing uh, each other, I think, at a round four stage. That, to me, feels arguably like a quarterfinal type matchup. But, um, yeah, we will see. The draw, you know, it doesn't... It, it takes no prisoners, as it were. Um, Daniel Medvedev also came through in the night match uh, against Sebastian Baez in three sets. <laughs> it so nearly went to four. Uh, but, yes, Medvedev uh, is also through. Moving on to the women's side, Chris, uh, let's talk about the Americans. Jesse Pagula, Madison Keys, they are going to be facing off against each other in round four. Jesse Pagula had a very handy win against Alina Svitolina in three sets, 6-4, 4-6, 6-2. And then Madison Keys equally had a very handy win against Ludmilla Samsonova, 5-7, uh, 6-2, 6-2. Yeah, the Americans, as you said, they're doing well in the men's draw and they're doing well in the women's draw. And... Yeah, Jesse Pagula just seems to be kind of rolling on and, you know, great win against Alina Svitolina, who's had a great, you know, great comeback season. And now Madison Keys next, who is no stranger to going deep at the US Open. That's going to be another challenging obstacle, isn't it? Yes, I think it, it definitely could be. Um, as far as kind of their head-to-head goes, um, I'm pretty sure that um, Pagula has had a kind of... Um, a positive head-to-head there. Mm. Um, when they have played, I think more recently, it's been quite straightforward. Um, I think it's just the nature of Pagula's game is that, you know, she's very good at absorbing the pace and then doing something with it. Um, she's not at all concerned by like a fast ball um, in that sense. And I think that it's going to be tough for Keys because Pagula's moving better than she has done before. I really think she's in like her peak at the moment. And, um, she's very difficult to, to upset because Svitolina's got some firepower as well and she can move really well. So whoever won that match, I probably would have put as the favourite to win against Keys. Um, I think it was going to be tough for Maddie. It's going to be a lot of it. It's always on her racket. Her whole career is on her racket, whether she makes more than she misses. And so with Keys, it's so hard to know who's going to turn up. Like, I mean, we've seen it before at the Australian Open. I think it was last year where she was just on absolute fire um it was tennis from another planet it really was and then you know the next time you see her play it's joel you're sharing update on the podcast of 50 unforced errors in a two-set yes, match I know. so that one's a hard one to call but i do think pagula's too consistent this year so it's great for maddie to get the win over samsonova but someone like pagula she's not going to give you a win no and uh, another player that is also through uh on Zibor against marie bushkova another another three-set battle another hard, warrior-like Joel performance well i know i mean the, the the feeling is that onzibor has got kind of a flu or a cold she's just physically not a hundred percent and marie buskova in this match also uh physically wasn't a hundred percent either i think she was she was carrying an injury it looked like in that in that third set and uh yeah onzibor just she just keeps i mean it's the story of her tournament so far isn't it she's just she just keeps finding finding a way to win and it's normally been in three sets and if you think, if you're sick, I'd like to spend as little amount of time as possible on court, Joel. I'm not sure about you. She's like, no, if it's, I would need three hours of exercise to get over this flu. Um, because That's not how I would approach a flu, but yes. <laughs> I think it's this, you know, something about Ansa always quite funny is that I don't think she does get as much enjoyment from a straight sets win. I think she loves the fight. She loves the battle. And mm. she talked about... Um, the crowd definitely a, does. They do. And they talked about... Um, in her on-court interview 
um, after her match win against, I think it was another Czech against Noskova, um, that she's a warrior on court. She's like, that will be my symbol for the tournament. And I'm like, don't let warrior be the symbol for the tournament. Be Let something much simpler than that, you know? Let straight sets win be the symbol of the tournament. Do you think it could catch up on her, you know, going into going into week two, given all of the, the battles that she has been in so far? I think it's going to be more to do with the fact that yeah, she has had obviously a lot of time spent on court, but the bigger she's not question her is best tennis either. Yeah, she's got to start quicker in these matches, and I think she never normally plays her best tennis in the early rounds. That's for sure. And the better the player is, the better she tends to play. So it's almost like each kind of half of a slam, you have different um, different onstrippers that turn up, and we're in the warrior phase at the moment. But Quinn Win Zhang is. Um, another tough customer, but a pretty good draw, if you're being honest, for Ons at this point. Quite a similar sort of level of game as some of the players that she's played so far. Um, so hopefully she'll be able to kind of bring a slightly higher level for that one. Yeah, I mean, Zheng has come through to round four. She defeated Podoroska in the first round, Kanepi second round, and then Bronzetti third round. So you think, in theory, Yabor is a big step up there, but we know what a talent uh, Zheng is. And again, she might be looking at that draw thinking you know, not 100% on Zubor. This this could be my moment, uh, you know, to make my mark um, in, in New York City. So, um, yeah, we'd definitely be fascinated to see how that one uh, gets on. I mean, one player, Chris, that is just steamrolling the draw, complete opposite to Odzibor is Marketa Vodrusova. She came through, steamrolled Alexandrova, 6-2, 6-1. I think she's only dropped 10 games going into round four. I was reading, I think only Venus Williams and Serena Williams have done the Wimbledon US Open double in the same season. Can we entertain those thoughts or not really? Are we, have we, have we not really seen Von Drusfer yet against an opponent that can cause her issues? As she won Wimbledon and that was not her best surface. So <laughs> I think hard courts are her best surface. So, I mean, who's to say she can't? Um, she's always had a very level head, a very pragmatic head um, when it comes to this sort of um, the sort of celebrity that comes with it and the fame. She definitely didn't get ahead of herself. She went back home for a bit. She came back on the tour um, and she's buzzing under the radar. I mean, a lot of the fans here don't necessarily know who she is, um, despite winning Wimbledon. Um, a lovely couple I spoke to yesterday said, oh, we've got so unlucky with the night match on Armstrong. We don't know these people. And I'm like, she's just won Wimbledon. Um, <laughs> that does not surprise me. No, but she's just made it onto Armstrong. You know, previously, I'm not sure that um, she's been on the grandstand court 17. We're building up to uh, playing an American, obviously, on a bigger stage. But I can't see in this part of the draw an issue with her against Peyton Stearns. I think she just has so much variety, so much game. And, you know, Alexandra's got a big serve and she made breaking it look like a piece of cake. So, um, I mean, Alexandra, just 35% of points won on the first serve. I mean not Von good Von was seeing it like a football yep uh, I mean it, it just feels like in, in New York whenever Von Drusova has stepped onto the court she's playing great game because in the ladies doubles um, you know she's playing with Barbora Stritskova who's a very handy singles and doubles player and they beat the number one seeds Krachikova and Sinyakova 6-2 6-3 yeah I know so she's not, she's not losing sets at all yeah no well I'd be concerned for anyone in the draw I, I agree but I also wonder like is the the weight of playing doubles also going to be a factor if if it like if it continues um for pagula isn't she in three right now yeah i know or is it is it going to help you because it's just you're feeling great and just just step on the court you just kind of continue you know continue where you left off but um yeah i do maybe have that question but i mean they're against Routliff and Dabrowski um, in the next round of the of the of the women's doubles. So um, yeah, we'll see we'll see we'll see how they get on. But as you said, Von Drus is going to be playing Peyton Stearns. Peyton Stearns came through Britain's Katie Balter. Annoyingly, Chris, uh, this was in straight sets six four six three. You were there for that. I think you were probably one of four spectators there for that. <laughs> I had actually just come back from a wedding and was watching it uh, <laughs> late night, early morning, um, around kind of half 12, 1 a.m. And genuinely, I couldn't understand. American player looking to make, make the fourth round and there was like a handful of people there. What was going on? So it was originally scheduled. This is this is the scoop. It okay. was originally scheduled for grandstand. Um, but the scheduling was less than ideal because Jesse Pagula was due on court 
on Grandstand, but she was still playing her singles on Ash. And so then what they did was that rather than, um, which I think was the right decision for the players, which often it isn't, um, they put, they moved eventually Katie Ball to over to court 17, almost the de facto fourth court. And then Coco and Pagula played their doubles on Grandstand because otherwise it would be starting on an outside court almost later than the second um, night, night match. Um, the night session so it was a scheduling thing I think it was tricky because I'm not sure how many people were aware there was a match on that court and court 17 is a bit tucked away um, I think there was a match of Bushkova versus Petra Martic which had literally two people in early in the week when um, was one has been hit- you I'm hoping it was even I didn't go to that one. Um, <laughs> I, I found a court nearby where uh, I could sort of see the score line. I took I yeah. took an interest job, but I didn't mm. go over. So it's a bit tucked away. So that was a shame because um, you'd have thought that would have had a good audience. And on a grandstand, the vibe would have been very similar to the Jack Draper. And a big shame as well for Katie Balter because she's, the wait still goes on for her to get to a second week of a Grand Slam. And this just felt like... Like, I know Peyton Stearns is being talked about as a, as a bit of a prospect. You know, she's... Uh, you know, come through the you know, college system in the states. Think she's like an N. Uh, you know, she's been a cha- she's been a champion over there and in the NCAA championships. Uh, she's on the up, but I mean, ranked number fifty nine in the world. You would have taken that as a third round opponent, and to see her, I feel like at times get like over, almost overpowered, um, which is not something I say lightly by Peyton Stearns um, and her forehand. Um, yeah, it was it was a little bit disappointing because I think Katie Balter didn't bring the tennis, uh, you know, the levels of tennis that we have seen in rounds one and two. There wasn't really a game plan, I have to say, which was um, a shame because Peyton was really hitting the ball hard and Katie Balter's only answer was to try and hit it harder. Mm. Um, and she's Do you not, think that I was th- a bit kind of one dimensional in her boat? She was just saying, I can just hit this player off the court and... It was quite clear from like the first few games. It was like, oh, actually, this is not happening. And she she didn't have a plan B. I, I think that's true. I think you've got to do something a bit different, whether it's throwing in a high ball to the backhand, um, whether it's targeting the backhand a bit more, whether it's you know throwing in a drop shot here or there. She did actually come into the net a couple of times with some success. For me, it was just a bit too... If you're going to go out the US Open third round, I want to see you try something a bit different or I want to see you really thump a ball. And it felt like... It got a little bit desperate a bit quickly, especially in that um, sort of second set. But she was down the early break and then she got the break back to four all. And yeah. I thought she cracked the I thought it was going to kick thought, on. Yeah, I thought she yeah, was going to really kick on. Yeah, I really did. So that was a shame. And the four people there, myself, Alex de Minar, and two Americans, <laughs> um, we did our best to cheer her on, but mm. uh, it wasn't enough. Yeah, it's a, a disappointing result. But yeah, great win for, for Peyton Stearns because... I, you know, I heard it was my pick, by the way, Joel. When we were asked by a fan in um, the mailbag, I think I said Navarro and Peyton. Mm. I went fully American with it um, because I was really impressed with how she played against Sloane Stevens in some one two five somewhere or something yeah. like that. But I mean, she's had some very good Grand Slam results this year because she beat, I believe, Yelena Ostapenko at the French Open. Um, yeah, she did. She did indeed. Um, she did. I th- I think then she played Shontek and or she played someone and, and and less said about that result the better. But yeah, she's had some good uh, results and uh, she definitely brings it. I think at, at Grand Slams and um, yeah, she's a player I think to Ooh, watch. It was Kasakina against Kasakina. That's it. Yeah, eleven yeah, and one. Um, but yeah, she's definitely a player to watch because yeah, she, like Bolter in that sort of spot around fifty, sixty in the world, they'll both have the same ambitions, right? Of of continuing higher up the rankings and you know for both of them i feel like a a low seeding you know around in like you know 28 to to 32 potentially is not like for me that could be like a next objective um i think arguably for for both of them because to me they're almost kind of on similar similar type trajectories even if the age gap is a little bit different yeah i think for me it was very clear from this match and i'm a big case builder fan i think she's a fantastic ball striker but i think she needs to add variety to her game um, and that's why we probably see her lose some of those matches on tour. Uh, she's actually only beaten four top 100 players this year, Katie Bolter. So despite her ranking being the top 50 now, I think she's got to start beating some more players who are, you know, similar to her in ranking. Um, and that's going to be something where the title to, to Nottingham, she didn't play a player inside the top 100. So I think it's a bit of a, 
um, a tricky situation going from not playing against top 100 opponents and not winning against them to then being a seed. So for me, I think Peyton's on a more positive trajectory in that sense. But I mean, if you watch that Ostapenko match, hitting through Peyton is not easy. So for example, this is probably Peyton's dream third round as well. You know, she'd be like, great, Katie Bolter. She can't hit me off the court. And then someone like Kasakina, who throws in a lot of variety, it was, or says, generate your own pace, you know, on that second serve from Kasakina, that's rolling in as well. Um, Peyton wasn't able to kind of to do that consistently, but a disappointment for Katie, but still a third round, as you say. So two third rounds in a row is no bad feat. Also, I loved Peyton says was rocking the the long sleeve, the long sleeve top, which it was uh, chilly. I was in my shorts. I was very cold. <laughs> oh, was it very cold? Oh, okay. Um, uh, yeah, I, 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 I even feel like we see the long sleeve top enough on the on the women's circuit, but um, it yeah, screams loved... late night Qatar, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's long sleeves to me screams you don't want to be there but you just you just turn it up to play on the tennis court um well, she certainly turned up but she did turn up she did turn up and she is into round four but uh we're going to take a quick break now but join us in the second half where we will be taking a look back from all the action on day five at flushing meadows so do not go anywhere our us open coverage is sponsored by ag1 ag1 is the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health If a comprehensive solution is what you need for your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash tennis weekly. That's drinkag1.com forward slash tennis weekly. Check it out. Welcome back to the Tennis Weekly Podcast, sponsored by AG1. And now we're going to move on to day five, Chris. And we have to start with Novak Djokovic against Laszlo Gere. Compatriots and a five-set scare for Novak Djokovic. He was two sets down, 6-4, 6-4 to Laszlo Gere, but managed to kind of wrestle back control and ultimately win the final three sets quite comfortably, 6-1, 6-1, 6-3, Three hours, 45 minutes. And I think, <laughs> I mean, Djokovic has been in some five-set battles at Grand Sazari recently. I mean, obviously you had that great one against Alcaraz. But this one, uh, coming back from two sets down, did you ever feel like we were on the brink of Djokovic exiting Flushing Meadows? No, at no <laughs> point. I went to bed when he was two sets down. And um, I thought I, I opened the school app in the morning and I thought, right, that's what I thought I'd see. Um, I, I wasn't concerned. A bit kind of I, Roger Federer, Alejandro Faller uh, at Wimbledon. When yeah. I still I always yeah, remember that I mean, because Faller went two sets up. Faller went two sets up. And I remember my friend messaging me saying the bookies favorite is still Roger Federer. And I just felt like in this situation, it was kind of literally the same. Up. And it's yeah, just like saying, Djokovic still the favorite. Yeah, and also, um, good old Laszlo, he's not necessarily the best at those sort of situations either. I think mm. it's the case of, you know, can he beat Djokovic on the tour? Yes. Um, can he beat him at a slam? Probably not. Um, even if he was a breakup in that third set, uh, or any of the sets after the first two, I still would have, you know, all my money would have been on Djokovic um, if I was a gambling man, which I am not. But again with Djokovic I mean he does like to drop you know a a set or two in the in the first week um he wasn't playing well at all which is probably the more concerning thing was how he was struggling for rhythm and it did take I mean two sets from turn it on so a bit of um a strange one because the tennis wasn't spectacular at all it was more of a if I was a fan, it makes it for a bit more drama, but it is also, you know, I've kind of, I've got to get my train. Could you please kind of wrap this up in three, Djokovic? <laughs> three competitive sets would have been better than five not so competitive. Mm. I mean, if there was one thing Djokovic would have taken from this match, do you think it, it was almost like a, this is a wake up call? Like I can't just sort of sleepwalk through and, you know, regardless of coming through comfortably, spending three hours, 45 minutes on the court, going five sets, all the mental energy that that takes from you that's you know and, and going to almost kind of 2 a.m as well um you know in the, in the night session like that's still like not a situation you want to be in is it it really isn't um and i think that's something that i've noticed even more being here is just how late some of these schedules are for, for players um and for your body clock and you know he's someone who 
treats himself to one square of chocolate when he wins Wimbledon or when he, he win and gets a big result. So you kind of feel like if he gets one hour less sleep or whatever it might be, that is something that would impact his kind of optimum status. So um, yeah, for me, I think he can take a lot from it. You know, that he can dig deep when he's not playing well and, and not playing well and winning is something that he's done quite a lot. I think uh, he's come back, what is it, two sets down uh, four times in three years now, I think. Mm. Um, against kind of all manner of different players. Um, so I think that's something where he still will back himself to win those matches. Um, but it is unusual that we get into that situation so frequently, um, despite him winning the title at the end of the tournament. And we also had, like, the the Americans are doing so, so well, particularly, uh, you know, particularly on day five. It was such a treat, I think, for the home fans because we had Tommy Paul come through against Davidovich Fikina in four sets. Francis Tiafo defeating Adrian Manorino in four sets. And we also had Ben Shelton coming through in four sets against Aslan Karatsev. Who, Chris, have you been most impressed by so far um, at the US Open in terms of the Americans, the Americans I've just listed. I mean, we've got, we're going to have Tommy Paul, Ben Shelton next. I think there's going to be at least a guaranteed male American in the, in the men's quarterfinals. Who, who for you has impressed you the most you know, from that list? Wow. It's not Taylor Fritz, I have to say. Very true. Very good point, actually. I'm not, we're not talking about him. He's dropped like zero games. But yeah, exactly. And I think the people are saying like this is the least number of games someone's dropped. And I'm like, well, I mean, if he was dropping more games against some of these players he's playing, I mean, mm, these are people true. that I'm, su- I'm surprised are in a slam. Um, so in terms of the tennis, I think I'd have to be more impressed by someone who's had more challenges and come through. So I think, for example, I think Tommy Paul has, has found ways to win that I think is very impressive um, to get himself to a fourth round on home soil. But Ben Shelton has really had a breakthrough tournament here. Um, and I think he's playing some really free tennis and he's really enjoying himself. Um, him, him and Taylor Townsend are having the time of their lives in the doubles court as well. And I think that's so important to, you know, you could have the intensity of singles, but also be on site, be having the best time ever with someone like Taylor Townsend and that positive story being written about you. So he is thriving in the first slam that he's played since that big breakout in Australia. And so for me, I think he's probably the most dangerous but at the same time i mean i'm very impressed with tfo becoming you know um a, a main state of the of the top 20 top 15 um which i think is something that you wouldn't think someone like him who's sometimes inconsistent would be able to do so consistently and so i think that's so there's something to be said for everyone except i'm not going to get on the taylor fritz hype train what about you what do you think are you impressed by him i think you sent me something today and he's like he spent two minutes on the tennis court what was it yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's funny you talk about Ben Shelton because I do think, you know, we're seeing the best of him and, and no surprise there really in, in New York, at home, in, in, in America. But arguably there's almost like he's a he's still a different proposition, a weaker proposition arguably when you put him outside um, of America, you put him in, in Europe. We see that I think in the, you know, in some of his results on, on the tour this season. And, um, you know, I'm almost kind of glad like, yeah, he's he's making hay when he will probably feel at his most comfortable. But yeah, you know, given, you know, he's so young and you know, he's still obviously developing and learning all the time. I still think like there's almost like a little bit of a lag between, you know, the Ben Shelton we see play in New York City versus, yeah, the Ben Shelton that, that you know, has to play on the tour that, at the start of the year, whether that's in, in Europe or, or Asia or, or elsewhere. Yeah, I almost kind of wonder if there's a little bit of a, a delay there. But um, I'm impressed by Tommy Paul. I think Tommy Paul, you know, we came back from like two sets down in, in a previous round, came through. I thought Davidovich Fikina would have been a very tough combative opponent. But again, came through. I love the fact that he's got like a, I don't know if you saw this on social media. He's got like a little fan, a uh, little, little, little kid, oh, little uh, chap, junior. Yeah. yeah, he's like, I'm not, I'm not letting you tickets. lose in five sets. Yeah, and he's yeah. just like... I want you now at all my matches as my kind of number one cheerleader. And I absolutely, I mean, I, I've, you know, people will say that's a very cheesy and corny story, but Write I, a letter to the school. I just lap it all up, Chris. Yeah. I mean, I saw some polls. It was like, who are you more a fan of? The mascots of the Karate Boys or <laughs> the young fan oh, of Tommy Paul? That's a good one. That is a good one. I'm, I'm siding with the kid. I'm Me too, because the these are grown men dressed up as carrots supporting a 21-year-old <laughs> or 22-year-old. I'm weirded out by it. But yeah, no, it's been a lovely story. And 
Uh, I think that's something that do you think the amount of time he spent on court will start to, you know, cause a problem for him? He's spent about eight hours on the court. Yeah. Um, he that is that could potentially catch up with him, but uh, I think the crowd crowd are absolutely loving it. Again, I was, when I was, I watched the end of the the Fakina match. Uh, the some of the things that audiences bring to to get signed, Chris. I mean, at Wimbledon, you know, it's normally a ticket stub or a Wimbledon program or a hat, Tennis Weekly hat maybe, but we're not doing that in in New York City. Tommy Paul, after his match against Fakina, signed toilet paper uh, and a fan's forehead. Uh, He, like, signed, like, a toilet paper roll with, like, the paper... The paper... Like, the paper on it. I just thought, like... This is... very hard to sign... I've got to be honest, that's very hard mm. to sign. So I do feel for Tommy Paul there because would that would you have automa- neglected it? Would you have been like, sorry, I'm I'm too good for signing uh, toilet paper? Well, you need something behind that. Otherwise, how are you going to get the traction <laughs> you need with the pen? But um, I mean, it just, just screams that you're suddenly in front of Tommy Paul and you've got nothing. But I yes. mean, um, they do provide toilet roll <laughs> at the US Open. So that is unusual um, in that sense. That's for sure. Um on the on the US question, Joel, so Tater Fritz has spent four hours and thirty one minutes on court and he's playing against Dominic Stricker, I believe, who spent ten hours and eleven minutes. Um so surely physically for someone like Stricker, I mean, he's already sort of out of the out of the US Open really against a, a Tommy Paul who's this uh, Tommy Paul, a Tater Fritz who's this fresh. Do you think that that is another really easy, I mean, one of the easiest fourth rounds you could probably yeah, get. Yeah, I mean, uh, Fritz seems to be having like a, almost like a dream draw the at the moment. Been rolled you out. Still, you still obviously have to beat, you know, who is in front of you. And there is an argument, I think, also to say like, you know, the, the, as you said, the opponents that Fritz has been, ser- you know, served up. I mean, Steve Johnson in his sort of twilight years, Varias in the, in the second round, and then Menzik in, in the third round. The only disadvantage of that, I think, is the fact that at some point it's gonna you're gonna be stepping up to one of the the big seeds. I don't think that's necessarily Dominic, Dominic Stricker, but are these matches going to be serving him, getting him battle ready for you know a potential crack at you know, quarterfinals or semifinals? Who who knows? Um, that's the only I think worry I would have around the fact that it's almost been too easy for him. The tournament hasn't started yet, really, for him. Mm, exactly but, I mean he'll take sets. it he'll feel fresh he'll feel great he'll feel confident but um, yeah he should should come through Dominic Stricker who yeah had another five set win uh, this time against Benjamin Bonzi 6-2 in that fifth set so um, yeah and then actually last but last but not least on the men's side Chris before we talk about the women Rinky Hijikata from Australia um, he is also through to the fourth round um, yeah I was just saying earlier like Oh, there's a lot of seeds that have basically dropped and we're getting a lot of unseeded players come through. Borna Gojo as well. Yeah, these players who I'm familiar with, but they're not like, they're doing like a Bottich van der Zandschop did at the US Open like a few years ago in, in my head. Yes, I can definitely see that as um being the case. With Rinky, obviously got the wild card because of uh, the way that it works with the other slams where in Australia, there's always a wild card that goes to a US player. And for him, he got the wild card that was awarded for an Australian player um, at the US. So it's kind of um, a, a program that exists. So a program some people don't think should exist, the, the reciprocal the reciprocal wild card system. It's a strange one. Um, that's for sure. It doesn't necessarily make the most sense because, uh, I mean, obviously it's only just one wild card. So this doesn't change anything, particularly in the, in the bigger picture of things. Um, but quite often you see the wildcard be selected not do particularly well so it's a pretty good for the tournament that he has done um, a good job here because he, I'm not sure he would have been everyone's um, pick out of the Australian players to play this um, he didn't have a ranking but again I mean it's great to see these players who haven't necessarily um, you know had that many results I mean someone like Borna Goja I mean he's he's 25 now and um, yeah he's I mean we're not talking know, about him but he's he's also won through in straight sets all his matches I mean, that's crazy. I mean, he's never been in the top 100, I don't think. I think he's there or thereabouts. <laughs> it's so wild. It but that's, is, it's I all think that's very what, wild. That is what happens, though, at the US Open, I'd say. Like, end of the year, it's it's a long season. I think it opens it up to, uh, you know, to having these these types of things happening. The weirdness to me almost this happening. Emma Raducanu vibes. Wait, stop yes. it. He was in qualifying, not, drop, uh, not oh dropping Oh, my God. Is Borna Goje going to be the Emma Raducanu of, of US Open men's He has 2023. next. 
Oh, Maybe okay. not. He might drop a set. <laughs> just the one. Right. Well, I mean, moving on to the women's side, uh, we had a big upset. Well, we say big upset. Actually, we sort of we sort of predicted this in our last episode, or we suggested it anyway. Sorana Kostea defeating Rabakina of Kazakhstan. Um, yeah, three sets, six three, six seven, six four. What did you make of this one, Chris? Because yeah, we had this on upset alert. Kostea is a you know. She's a very handy player, very experienced player. She's beaten Sabalenka, I think, uh, this this year. So she's definitely got the capability of beating the top seeds. Were you still surprised by this result or or not so much? I mean, I think we both wanted to say we thought it would happen, but we didn't necessarily fully commit, but it very much was upset alert. Um, as far as kind of the match went, I mean, it, it's the perfect matchup for Cristea in terms of the sort of player that she likes playing. Um much better against a big hitter. Um, we know that Rebecca hasn't had great results always over here um, in the US. So I, I, I wasn't particularly surprised. I, I did think, not like it was a foregone conclusion, but this is a rare time where I do think this went as I thought. I thought probably three sets and Cristea would come out uh, the victor at the end of it. Um, again, it's a story of the first serve for Rebecca. It happens so much with her that she doesn't make enough first serves and she doesn't know, well, if she doesn't make many, she's got to win them. And so she just made 56% of first serve, but only made 55%, which just uh, only won 55%, which shows Cristea was loving the pace. Yeah, and I think it didn't help that that Rabakina. There's been talks of a shoulder injury and her not being like completely fit. And if you take the the first serve weapon away from Rabakina, yeah, she she is vulnerable, and I think Castea um, ex- exploited that essentially. And the movement side of things as well. If- mm, yes. So. Um- yeah, I think a little bit, maybe a little bit disappointing for Rebecca, but I think, you know, she just needs to go away, rest up, make sure she can come back fit and firing because, you know, she's still got lots of tennis to come. Hopefully we should be seeing her at the, you know, the WTA um, end of season finals as well. But um, yeah, in this moment, Castella, who, Chris, quarter finalist at the French Open in 2009, impressive to see her longevity in terms of her career and how she's just basically stuck at it. And now she's got another opportunity to make another quarterfinal, potentially. Yeah, I mean, that would be quite Benchich, the story. Benchich, Benchich fourth round, is, is is that foregone conclusion, Benchich? Or could you see Kostea pulling off another upset? Well, Benchich hasn't been playing her best tennis. Um, it's been a bit iffy here and there. So I think if you're Kostea, it's always tough to back up a win. And I think that's something that she has sort of found, that she is that highlight match sort of player. Um, hence the fact that she hasn't obviously been you know, past uh, um, a quarterfinal for, I mean, uh, well, I mean, she's played so many slams and not gone past, um, I mean, even the fourth round um, for for a very long time. So it's a tricky one. I would say that Benchic probably will be a bit too solid. But I mean, if you're Cristea, um, I think it's probably, I mean, you're probably looking at that as a, as a good draw. Um, and it would be, I mean, quite the story. But that section of the draw has opened up. Um but I think, Joel, a, an on-song Benchich has enough variety to take out Cristea, or do you think that Cristea might get in her head? Mm, I think a Cristea could could continue the run, to be honest. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm always back that. I think she's going to be high on confidence. I know we sometimes see players, uh, you know, not being able to kind of back up big performances. But um, yeah, I think I think Benchich, I know Benchich has done well at the US Open in, in the past, but um yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with the underdog here. But um, an- another player who actually is into the fourth round that maybe not as many people would have expected, uh, Caroline Wozniacki, Chris, won the battle of the comebacks against Jen Brady in three sets, 4-6, 6-3, She's into the second week of a Grand Slam. The, her first Grand Slam back, this to me is stuff of... I don't want to say maybe not stuff of dreams just yet, but this is definitely beyond kind of wildest, I think, expectations, particularly, I think, from tennis fans in terms of the level we were going to get from Wozniacki and where it was going to take her. I I said it on the pod. I wasn't sure necessarily what was the motivation to return beyond, you know, to, to give it a try, missing it and being kind of addicted to it and wanting to, to do it again. And um, I think she's proved me wrong in so many ways because she's added to her game. And that's not something that I think many of us thought she would do. Um, because she didn't change that forehand, you know, over the course of her first career. And this time she's she's completely changed it in terms of mm, the way that she's yeah. um, 
hitting through the ball. Um, and I did a tweet about this. I really do think it's a weapon now. Um, and even against Kvitova, when I saw that match on Ash, she was winning points by putting pressure on the forehand. And the same was true with the Brady match. So for me, I think that's the biggest change is that this is Wozniacki um, 2.0. I used that phrase for Coco Goff, and I feel like she fixed her forehand in many ways and Wozniacki's fixed her forehand. So she's not got that weakness. She's got a great serve at the moment. She's serving really well. Her backhand has always been one of the best backhands on the tour. And so if you look at the pieces of the puzzle, you know, she's got everything that you need to get a good result. But coming back, did we think this would happen at the US Open when I read that Vogue article? Absolutely not. So <laughs> um, I think she's she really means business. And there's something, there's something, a real fire in her that I think... Yep. If she, if, if she comes away as the champion of this tournament, I genuinely would not be completely wow. surprised now. Big words, big words. Well, I mean, she's going to go from battle of the comebacks to, in your words then, battle of the 2.0s because we look at play coming up for day seven. Got Caroline Wozniacki, Coco Goff on a Arthur big one. Ash. That'll be a good one. Yep. Tommy Paul, Ben Shelton, the All-American kickoff as well. In the night session, Borna Gojo versus Novak Djokovic. And... What I think is the one we're most fascinated by, Iga Sviontek versus Yelena Ostapenko. What is going to happen in that match? I can't even picture in my mind what, what, what we could be in for. I, I honestly think that uh, Ostapenko and Arthur Ashe, have we seen it before? Because I think that will be a wild concept <laughs> yeah. um, in will many it be ways. Ostapenko but... v Sviontek and Ostapenko versus the crowd, Ostapenko versus the umpire. Ostapenko, Ostapenko versus the world. I mean, I mean, it really is. And if you're if you're looking at this from a matchup perspective, it is three zero to Ostapenko in the head to head. She only lost one, only lost one set to her. Uh, their most recent match was in Dubai, which was a final set tiebreak, and then Ostapenko obviously went on to win that tournament, um, and that was the last loss before um, Iga's winning streak kicked off. Um, so. I mean, Ostapenko has played pretty, pretty poorly so far, but we all know that all it takes is for her to turn up on one day and then she can hit anyone off the court, a bit of a, a Petra Kvitova in that sort of sense. So if you're looking at this match from an eager perspective, you would be concerned. Um, and I think she does love a challenge. She said, you know, all the pressure's on her. Um, so I think that I'll do well because uh, she, everyone wants to beat the number one in the world and She's got a target on her back, basically. So it's fighting talk from Ostapenko. But what do okay. you think? Could this be the, the problem that, that Sriotek can't get over? It's tough. I think there's only way, one way to solve it. And that's how we're going to end this episode. We're going to do some very quick fire predictions. I, okay. want name, right. I want name and number of sets. Let's start. Tommy, Paul, Ben, Shelton. Five, Paul. Ooh, okay. I'm going to say four, Shelton. Wozniacki, okay. Goff. Three was Jackie. Or two Goff. Gojo Jokovic. I'm going to write these down, Joel. (laughs) Gojo Um, Jokovic. Gojo in three. Jokovic four. I'm obviously joking, by the way. Maybe I'm not. (laughs) Sviontek Ostapenko. Why not Ostapenko in three? I don't know. Oh, okay. I don't actually believe that, though, but hey. I'm going to say Sviontek in three. Yes. Okay, let's just round off the final the final matches from round four. Mukova Wang. Two sets Mukova. Agree. Kostea Bencic. Oh, I might say two sets Bencic, but seven five, seven six. Mm. Kostea three sets. Hijikata Tiafo. I think the TFO will come through probably three or four, maybe three and a half. Yeah, tier phone three. And then finally, Dominic Stricker versus Taylor Fritz. Where are you going there? I'd, I would love an upset because I think that would be hilarious. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I think that Fritz will come through probably in three. Yeah, I agree. I think um, How did I not get a laugh, Joel, three. for Djokovic going out in straight sets to Borda Gojo? Like, did I, hang on, pro- sorry, did I say Gojo in four? What did no, I say? I said, I said Gojo in three. And you were like, yeah, Djokovic in oh, three. Did I? Sorry, no, no. I was just so, I, you know, it just sort of went over my mind because I thought in I my like, head. I think he thinks I'm serious. I think. <laughs> the Radicali prophecy You've been drinking been all night. You've been drinking Gojo. the Hugos all night, have you? Yeah, exactly. No, it's too early for that. It's literally 7am. <laughs> right. Well, on that, on that note, on that crazy prediction end note, uh, we're going to stop there. But listeners, I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode of the Tennis Weekly podcast. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action from week two at Flushing Meadows at the US Open. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all major podcasting platforms out there. 
And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on social media or email the show. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. And the handle is Tennis Weekly Pod. You can also purchase Tennis Weekly merch at our Etsy shop. Do check it out. It's etsy.com slash shop slash Tennis Weekly Podcast. You can email the show, tennisweeklypod at gmail.com. Or if you'd like to check out our website, it's tennisweekly.co.uk. And we are going to be back in double quick time tomorrow evening, Monday evening at Tennis Weekly HQ for our round four US Open catch up sponsored by AG1. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon.